All right, welcome to another episode of the McGill Sports Management Club Speaker Series. I'm Lance Natteris, co-executive director of the club. And today I'm pleased to welcome studio host of Hockey Night in Canada and NHL on Sportsnet and McGill alumni, David Amber. David, thank you for making your time. I appreciate it. Anytime for a fellow McGillian. <laughs> McGillian, yeah, yeah, McGillian. Uh, that's right. So uh, you graduated from McGill with a Bachelor of Arts in North American Studies, where you wrote for the school newspaper, as I understand it, before eventually going on to pursue a master's in broadcast journalism. What sparked your passion for, for working in television? First off, I have to say, I'm sure some of your listeners are laughing and saying, North American Studies, what is that? And it was basically a one-way ticket to unemployment. It was your interdisciplinary history, economics, political science degree, which I love because you got to sort of sink your teeth into a bunch of different things, um, but there really is no path of anything. In fact, most of the people I know who took North American Studies had to go back to school or, you know, find their own way professionally because it wasn't a, you know, a seemingly linear path to employment. But, um, but I enjoyed my time at McGill and around my third year at McGill, I started to write for the McGill Tribune and I I wanted to get into television. My, my father had worked in television as an executive producer of uh, news specials at CBC. So he sort of was in charge of overseeing the production of like special events, the elections, the uh, royal wedding, the Pope's visit to Canada, those sorts of things. So I sort of had a first uh, person glimpse into it and, and a really great opportunity to see how exciting live TV was. Uh, and although my father sort of was more on the news side of things, I always sort of leaned towards the sports side of things because a little lighter, a little, you know, a little more of an escape. I was a big, you know, sports enthusiast. So I just thought that'd be a better fit for me. So that was the, the path I went on. I take it you were an athlete growing up then. Yeah, I mean, I played a lot of sports. I wasn't particularly amazing at anything. I played hockey at a pretty good level here in Toronto and uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, played baseball and, and football in high school and soccer as well, but nothing, nothing exceptional. Um, you know, certainly not at a level that would have been able to pursue on a professional level, anything. So, uh, the next best thing to me was, you know, get to go to the games and, and, and follow the athletes and follow the, you know, the different events, but, uh, sort of a spectator, a fly on the wall and be that liaison between the sports fans and the and the events themselves so it was the best opportunity i had but uh but yeah if I, in my heart of hearts you know as a little kid like many kids growing up in canada you're like oh it'd be great to play in the nhl that wasn't to be though yeah sounds like me never quite good enough <laughs> um, so how did you get your first gig then walk me through that uh, it took a long time. So I went to Syracuse University, did a master's degree in broadcast journalism. I thought, okay, well, this is pretty good. One, one thing about going and doing a program like that, which was very hands-on, we would make, you know, we would produce new shows on the university campus in our studio there. We would go out in the field with camera and record, you know, like try and do a proper newscast. So it was all great. But at the end of the day, you're, you, know, you have this tape, this resume tape, and I thought that'd be good enough to get a, a job in the U.S. And as a Canadian who went to school in the U.S., you have a one-year visa to work in the United States. And I thought, this is fantastic. So I started applying to these little stations in North Platte, Nebraska. Like, that's the smallest station. You know, there's 212 TV markets in the U.S. North Platte was 212. So I'm thinking... <laughs> 
course, that this is where I should begin. You know, Joplin, M Missouri, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Redding, California, Bangor, Maine. You get the idea. Places you probably wouldn't want to live. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to have to live. But I thought it'd be a good place for me to cut my teeth. Unfortunately, rejection, 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 rejection. You know, it was reminding me of my my uh, you know sophomore year at McGill at the Gertz Pub. There was a lot of rejection. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't the easiest situation. Uh, but then I moved back home and I was very lucky to, to move in with my family. And then I started driving around Ontario and going and meeting news directors face to face, which I thought might be a better thing, you know, kind of real sell myself in person. And after some fair level of rejection there as well, I finally drove up to Sudbury and I met with a man named Mark Oldfield and he oversaw all, there was this thing called mid Canada television and there were stations in Timmins, North Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, et cetera. It was all the sort of Northern Ontario stations. And he said, look, we don't have anything for you right now, but I'll pass your tape along. And I didn't think much of it. He was very kind, um, but he didn't have anything for me. Then about three months later, I get a call and it was the news director named Tony Rima from Sault Ste. Marie. And he said, hey, we, we saw your tape. We were passed on your tape. Would you like to come for an audition? I hang up the phone and this is sort of right when the internet was starting. I'm like, sure, I got to drive to Sault Ste. Marie the next day. How far can that be? I'm a downtown Toronto kid. I had no idea. I kind of pull out a roadmap. That's how old I am. And I see it's like a seven hour drive away. I'm like, oh my God, I better get this job. So I drive up to Sault Ste. Marie. I have an audition, which was, if you found that tape, it would probably, you would be laughing your ass off because it was really bad, I'm sure. But it was good enough to get this job, thankfully. <laughs> and there you have it. I was on the ladder. I was in Sault Ste. Marie as a, a news slash weather slash sports reporter slash anchor so uh and it was it was a great experience for me Sault Ste. Marie the people are very nice and it's there for nine months and then I kind of just moved up from there um I'm curious about going to Syrac Syracuse to do your your master's in broadcast journalism do you think that helped you a lot because I've talked to a few people who are like radio hosts and that type of thing and a lot of them just don't even have any experience in in uh, journalism like I talked to one guy who's <laughs> a law school dropout and then he just like he's a uh, not a broadcaster, but a host of a radio show in Vancouver, and uh, <laughs> like he does pretty well for himself. I have a friend who dropped out of law school. I've had a couple of friends change from lawyers into journalists because I think there's a I think lawyers from my from what I can tell, and I have a lot of friends who came from McGill and became lawyers, and I'd say half of them are happy two days a month, and those would be the two days they get paid. But the other twenty eight days, they're pretty miserable. So uh, it's not for everyone. I do. It's a fascinating field, um, broadcast journalism. I find it really exciting. I love the the live nature of it. I love the fact that you're very you're front facing in my case, and you're right into people's you know living rooms. I think that's a cool thing as well. Um, and just to be able to cover sports has been great. And yeah, going to Syracuse was very helpful for me. Uh, you know, it wasn't my original plan. I graduated from McGill, and then. Again, I graduated in 1993. I'm old. I know I look so young, but I'm I'm old. And uh, I wanted to stay in Canada. And I applied to a school. I applied. I looked into applying to Ryerson, which is now called Toronto Metropolitan University. And they weren't going to accept any of my McGill credits. I was going to have to do a three-year degree, not even to get a degree, to get a diploma. And I was like, this is insane. I'm gonna, I've already got an undergrad degree, and I'm going to go do three years to get a diploma. This doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. I started looking in the States and that's when it just made sense. And now I think in Canada, there's way more options, you know, 30 years later, there's many, many more options, but uh, at the time it, it, it was something, it was a necessity, it was a you know, necessary situation. I don't think I could have just rolled into a broadcast journalism job without the formal training. Okay. Um, and I, I want to ask you about what it's like being on TV. You alluded to it a bit, but obviously I imagine it's very fast paced. Do you kind of pinch yourself before you go on every, every night? <laughs> I don't want to pinch myself. I mean, you're definitely, you're acutely aware, you know, it's funny. My friends are, my friends who really know me, the guys I went to McGill with, some of my best friends still are like, I can't believe they put a live mic near you. You know, you're trouble. And I go, well, I'm smart enough to, you know, not to hopefully say anything too ridiculous on air. It's going to get me in trouble. Um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I have to say what I like about my job is we have our shows and some shows are fantastic and the games carry the night and some shows are less fantastic and there could be problems, technical problems, or I might screw up things or I might be just not on that day. But then you wake up the next day and you have another show to look forward to. It's a clean slate. You know, you're, you're not constantly on a treadmill. You're kind of jumping on and having this moment and then coming off and, getting your life back and then going back to work. So I like the the newness of every show of every day. Um, you know, I think it's exciting. People love sports as an escape. So I like to be part of that, you know, news. And I did some news when I was in Sault Ste. Marie in that first job. And it's, it's tough. Some of the news stories are very tough. And you think about the news cycle we're living through right now. I mean, it's horrific. If I were a news, you know, broadcaster, journalist, I'd be, I'd be, it'd be too heavy for me to me. Um, you know, I consume a lot of news, uh, certainly, but I, I don't want to necessarily have to be part of that, whereas sports I find is definitely an escape. And there's a great level of passion and care. You're in Montreal at McGill. I mean, people live and die by what's going on with the Montreal Canadiens. And I live in Toronto, and it's the same thing with the Maple Leafs or the Raptors or the Blue Jays. So it's exciting to be part of that field. Um, and, and I like that aspect of it for sure. I've always wondered how how do producers decide what to show? Like, you know, you're you're sitting watching all these games at the same time. Um, like to what degree is your conversation natural and when is sort of the cutoff? Um, let's say you're watching a game and something crazy happens with five minutes left in the period. Like when's the cutoff where you go, okay, like we've got what we're going to talk about for the intermission and like that's it. <laughs> Okay, so there is no cutoff because often the biggest play will happen in the last 30 seconds. I mean, think about it. Just on Monday, we were coming out of the Maple Leaf Tampa Bay Lightning game and it went to overtime. So obviously it'd be pretty it'd be pretty foolish to come on air and talk about something that happened in the second period or third period when okay, yeah, overtime, yeah. you know. So we, we have a collaboration. We have a producer who oversees the show and we have the analysts and I'm the host. And we all talk, hey, the, 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 often the analysts will, will be in this green room watching a game. There's like seven TV screens and an analyst will say, hey, I want to talk about the four check and why it hasn't been effective for this team. Or I want to talk about that fight that happened and how that turned the momentum of the game around. And the producer will be like, OK. And then we have video editors who are editing the clips, essentially, that they want to discuss. Uh, it's an organic conversation. We, we know the themes. People always ask, oh, is it on prompter? Is it scripted? No, it's not scripted. I haven't used a teleprompter for 15 years since I worked at ESPN and, and I was doing an actual like news, like sports center type show where you, it's going to be a bit more scripted. Right. This right. is, um, you know, we say, Hey, let's talk about the Maple Leafs penalty kill. Let's talk about the Montreal, the injuries to Montreal's blue line. And then let's talk about the goaltending differences uh, between, you know, Tampa and Toronto and why that's a big issue. 
And so we know those are the themes. I don't specifically know what the analysts are going to say often, but I know they're interested in these topics. And then we kind of organically have this conversation and we want it to be conversational. We want it to be, you know, you guys are at the pub, you know, your peel pub having a drink, like the conversations you'd be having watching the game with your buddies. That's what it's, you know, at its best, that's what it's supposed to be. And when you have lively debate and you have difference of opinion, it's the best. And, you know, we had that on Monday, we had two of our analysts just saw things very differently. And they're obviously very respectful to one another, but they, two players who have played the game at the highest level possible, and they disputed what this team should be doing on their power play, the personnel they should be using. And it was great. It was just a good, interesting debate. And um, as host, it's nice because you always kind of have the final word. So you can kind of jump in and, and at the end say, well, okay, that was good, but, you know, um, but I definitely know there's a demarcation. I didn't play the game at that level and I respect you know, um, they see the game through a much more sophisticated lens than most of our viewers and certainly more than me. And I need to appreciate that. So for me, it's really to set these guys up to, to showcase all of their uh, intellect and skill and personality. You've covered a lot of obviously Stanley cup finals, NHL drafts, the Olympics. And I think you did some basketball back in your day as well. Do you have a mm -hmm. highlight of your career so far? Um, a few stand out. I've been really lucky to cover some cool things. Uh, the Olympics, I've done four Olympics and, you know, that's just, it's such a great global event and there's just some moments that stand out to me in some of the Olympics. And it also has allowed me to travel. You know, I did Olympics in Rio de Janeiro and Brazil. I've done the Olympics in Russia and Sochi. I've done the Olympics in Sydney, Australia. Like those, those are cool places I wouldn't have necessarily had a chance or an opportunity to go to. Um, without my work. So being there, watching Usain Bolt in Rio, you know, win the 100 and the 200 and, you know, do his, the pose at the end. And just, that was really cool. And being in, you know, at the pool side when Penny Alexiak was lighting things up for Canada, that was so cool watching Canada win a uh, gold medal in 2002 in both men's and women's hockey. Like those are moments I'll never forget. Um, and I also covered the world cup, which was in Rio in 2014. And that's, on a whole nother scale, the passion of the fans being in Brazil to cover a world cup, even though they, they lost horribly to Germany, I believe in the semifinal, like seven, one or something, uh, just being there and to see the level of passion, it's probably, uh, comparable to being in Canada during like the Canada cup series versus Russia. So to be there and then seeing all these fans flock in from all these different countries was really quite spectacular. So I would say those big inter international events, as much as the World Series and the NBA final and the Stanley Cup finals are amazing, when you're at that global scale of the Olympics and the World Cup, it's on a whole nother level. Obviously, you you always want to be at your best no matter what you're, you're broadcasting, but is there any sport that's more difficult to cover than others? Like I think in Canada, the average person is, is well, maybe this isn't true, but pretty knowledgeable about hockey. Mm. Uh, does that make things more difficult or... Yeah, I mean, covering hockey is difficult. It's because the average person in Canada, you know, thinks they know everything about hockey. So, and there is a great level of passion and excitement surrounding the sports. There's an insatiable appetite for it. And that's fantastic. I love that part about it. Um, but, you know, I, and, and they'll keep you honest to task. If you're, you need to uh, approach, you know, you need to analyze the games at a high level and you need to be talking about the proper subject matter and you better pronounce the names right and you better have your statistics right and everything else um but because i'm so familiar with hockey and i've covered it for a long time i i don't find it particularly difficult to stay up with what's going on it's much more difficult you know i hosted a few olympic games where 
you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Do I know what's going on in steeplechase? No, not so much. You know, do I speed walking? I'm, I'm not doing that on my, in my, my spare time. Uh, you know, uh, fencing, etc. You know, you don't need to know everything, but you better have a working knowledge of the history of the sport, how Canada's done in the sport, who the athletes are. To me, preparing for the Olympics um, was the hardest thing I've ever had to do um, professionally. And the reason for that is, you know, these athletes, they've given their whole life to this and this is their moment. And you don't want to shortchange them on that. You want to know, you know, in, in 2016, Canada sent whatever, 260 athletes to the games in Rio. And I wanted to make sure I knew all of their backstories and it didn't mean we we're going to necessarily cover every single one, or I was going to be on the air covering every single one, but I just wanted to make sure if they had their moment that I was there for it. It's not just them winning the gold, but even if they finished 50th, you know what, damn, if you're 50th, best anything in the world that's pretty impressive right and you just don't want to gloss over that you really want to cherish that moment and know all the discipline all the sacrifice all the time that they've put into to honing their craft and i take that really seriously like that's a responsibility we have so for me it was you know gearing up and it's one thing to know about hockey and you kind of have a working knowledge but to, to know about these other more fringe sports and it's this one moment in time uh, and it might be the first and only time we hear about athlete X in their field and their discipline. I, I was really just wanted to make sure that it shined. So to me, that's where the preparation was the greatest. I, uh, I respect that. That's, I think that's cool that you obviously take your craft very seriously. So you can sort of make sure that the people who are experiencing like the highlights of their life can look back on it and, uh, and feel like they were appreciated and everything. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> television ratings for the World Series weren't great this year. And we've we've also seen a bit of a decline in viewership in the States when it comes to hockey in recent years and at times in Canada as well. But in Canada, less people are playing hockey. Do you think that's just because it's an expensive sport? Well, as far as the ratings, I'll start there. I blame your generation. Um, I have uh, I have uh, two teenagers. I could tell you they don't they're not buying cable or anything like that. It's <laughs> consuming every media very differently than my generation consume media. And you know, I do think there's definitely a place for live sport. You know, there's something I've always said this in this era of reality TV, the best reality TV is live sport. You don't know what's going to happen. There's villains and heroes and it's just unfolding before your eyes. And there's, you know, it's, it's great theater. So I do think there's always going to be an appetite for it and a, a place for it, but if people do consume the media a little differently. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Your no, question was, your question was not about ratings. It was about, uh like, playing hockey. yeah uh, exactly yeah well yeah there are barriers and it's funny i, I work on the fan inclusion committee uh with the national hockey league and okay. we keep we collectively meet and have these board meetings where we try and discuss how do we break down these barriers whether they're cultural barriers whether they're economic barriers to really expose as many people to the game as possible specifically and be intentional about this underrepresented groups i think that's really important so yeah, there are financial barriers. My my daughter played briefly. She played hockey. She she liked it, didn't love it. My son really liked hockey and played it at a fairly high level in Toronto for eight or nine years before just giving it up last year. And, you know, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in a year to, to play and go to these tournaments and be on the team, et cetera. And it is, that's a real barrier for many, many people. It's not nothing. Uh, we need to work on that. It's it, Everyone should have the opportunity to play uh, the game and be exposed to the game and there shouldn't be those types of barriers 
And there are groups uh, across Canada and the states that are helping bring, you know, immigrants to the game and underrepresented groups to the game by trying to get equipment, get ice time, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's a work in progress, Lance, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And it is definitely a barrier. When you think about how easy it is to play basketball, play soccer, you need a ball and shoes basically, right? Yeah. And it's just much more difficult hockey or dressed like a gladiator. Ice, the ice costs in Toronto and I'm sure in Montreal are extremely expensive and, and it's not, it's not easy. So that's something that's going to, if the NHL continues or not the NHL, but at the game of hockey hopes to keep growing, um, especially with how the demographics are changing in North America, um, they're going to have to really be on top of things. And that's something that I know in the fan inclusion committee, we talk about a lot. Do you think there's any correlation between some of those barriers you mentioned and the amount of high-end talent that's come out of the U.S. in the last 10 years? Like in, in terms of hockey, obviously the Kachuks, Hughes, Matthews, Fox, Eichel, Robertson, I'm sure I'm missing a lot. But mm-hmm. do you think there's any correlation between that and sort of the development of the U.S. program? Yeah, the U.S. program has taken leaps and bounds. Um, you know, if you were to look at it when I was your age, I want to say maybe closer to 75% of the NHL might have been Canadians. And now I think it's more closer to 50% between the Europeans and the Russians. And clearly the Americans have had, you know, it's been a burgeoning success of great players you just named. Um, yes, that's taken a, a big role. And, and the socioeconomics has played a role as well. Um, you know, especially in the States with the amount of travel that's required, it, it is, you know, a rich kid sports and I'm doing the little air quotes there for, for your listeners. Like um, it's not someone, some, a, a sport, a lot of people can, can access in the States because it, it or as many people can access in the States because of the amount of travel that's required because there's fewer teams. Um, but they've done a great job of developing players. The, the United States national team development program, and you rattled off a bunch of names there. And a lot of those guys went through the USTD and it's, Honestly, it's fantastic program. And, and once again, we're seeing it now uh, with the guys who are going to be drafted in the top 10 this year in 2000, the 2006 birth year. Uh, they've done a really good job in the U.S. All right. Last question. Um, the sports media landscape has changed a lot, even in my life lifetime, especially in recent years. There's a huge race to be the first to report, it feels like. Um and that goes for anything, not just sports, but, and we've also seen a huge transition from, you know, radio to podcasting. It's easy to start a podcast as you could see, like a me right now, uh, <laughs> but uh, do you have, hey, any you're recommend- doing a good job, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do you have any recommendations for young people looking to break in um, and not only break in, but stand out? Yeah, I think the advice I would give is be as versatile as possible. Um, this is something I tried to be myself. Again, I, we started out this conversation about getting into the field and I faced a lot of rejection and I felt like I, you know, I was like, I thought I positioned myself pretty well, you know, get, going to McGill is a great thing and doing a master's at Syracuse was a big thing. Um, and still I faced a lot of rejection. It took me 11 months from graduating to getting that first opportunity. Part of what I think helped that opportunity was that I was versatile when they said, look, we don't have a sports job, but we have a news job. We have, we need you to be our backup weather person. What, what, what the hell do I know about weather? But, you know, it's just one of those, you try and be as versatile as you could be. Uh, and in, in the case of what you're just talking about, if you can do radio, if you can do podcasts, if you could be a reporter, if you could be an anchor, if you could be a host, if you could be in all these different roles on some level um, and cover, in, in my case, the more sports you can cover. You know, everyone's like, oh, I want to be on Hockey Night in Canada. Well, that's great, but there's only a few chairs for Hockey Night in Canada. Um, 
you know, if, if you can, can learn about soccer, think about it. the world cup of soccer is coming to Canada, part of, you know, Canada, Mexico, us in 2026, imagine, you know, really becoming a student of the game and being able to talk about soccer at a level that makes you a valuable commodity to be hired in that opportunity, if an opportunity were to exist. Versatility is key. Um, being aggressive is key. Aggressive might be the wrong word, but you want to be ambitious. I, I think what really ultimately got me in the door is, you know, I drove around Ontario. I went to Kingston and Kitchener and Barrie and ultimately to Sudbury, which got me the job in Sault Ste. Marie. I'm not sure if I had just sent a resume out or, you know, sent a tape to Mark Goldfield, I'm not sure what have piqued his interest. Me driving to Sudbury, and he said, so you drove here to meet with me from Toronto? I said, yeah. I said, oh, well, that's good. I said, yeah, I'm really interested in getting a job. And, and, you know, I think you have to be ready to pounce. And even if the jobs, you know, aren't paying a lot, and I can tell you, for people who get into media, people, you don't get into media to make money. I, got, I had a lot of buddies I went to McGill with, and they were in the management program. And trust me, my entry level job in Susie Marie, I was getting paid $17,000 a year, right? It's a long time ago, but still, yeah. it was a, barely a living wage. And I had buddies going into Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley and et cetera, making, you know, six times that, right, as entry level. And you better be passionate about it, you better be interested in it. And, you know, if things work out and you can kind of move your way up the ladder, you can make a, a very decent living and have a really um, fulfilling career, which I think is great. Um, but just I think you need to go in eyes wide open, um, be ambitious about it, uh, be as versatile as you could be and uh, be prepared for some for some rejection. It's just it's a it's a very competitive field, but I never dissuade anyone from putting their best foot forward and getting into it, because I do think at the end of the day, it's a really exciting field uh, with a huge upside. And um, I'm really, you know. I'm blessed that I've been given such great opportunities and I don't really have any regrets getting into this field, you know, for the last 25, 26 years.